0: Hello and welcome back to the Canadian Money Roadmap podcast. I'm your host, Evan Newfeld. Today, we are looking at building your own investment selection process and uh, looking through the lens of a little bit of a basketball story here where the Philadelphia 76ers were learning to trust the process. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you might know that I am a basketball fan. And for any of you who are basketball fans that are probably around my age, if I told you to, quote, trust the process, you would probably know what I'm talking about. But for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about there, the process was a strategy that uh, the Philadelphia 76ers were employing using their general manager. His name was Sam Henke. I say was because he's no longer their general manager, but anyways, this was his kind of plan, and it kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. And I'll, I'll get to that one in a second, but it was it was a long term rebuilding plan that focused on acquiring draft picks and young talented players with the goal of building a sustainable championship contending team. You can probably kind of see where I'm coming from with the the metaphor here in terms of building your own investment portfolio over time, but. Trusting the process here, this is what Sam Hinkie did with the 76ers. Number one, he acquired draft picks. So he focused on acquiring as many draft picks as possible, especially high first round picks in order to, to get the best young talent on the team. And so to be able to get draft picks, what he did was he traded away established players, ones that were maybe closer to the end of their career and traded them for draft picks instead of players that could actually play today. So going hand in hand with that was his second strategy of developing young talent. So he really emphasized the development of young talented players rather than relying on veterans or, you know, past all-stars or something like that. He was willing to endure long seasons of losing in order to give these young players the, the opportunity to learn and grow at the NBA level. Number three, he used analytics. So this was kind of the start. Sam Hinkie and some of the other general managers in the league at the same time, they really started using analytics to their advantage to try to find unique players that would fit a strategy that they believed would lead to on-court success. They thought that this data-driven approach gave them a competitive advantage, and I would argue that it probably did. And number four, so embracing uncertainty, we would call this investment risk in our worlds here, but Sam Hinkie recognized that building a championship team actually required a certain amount of luck and uncertainty, and he was willing to take that risk and make unconventional moves in order to increase the team's odds of success. This is the risk and reward trade-off that we see in investing all the time. So it was controversial going through this process because they lost a lot and it seemed like they were trying to lose intentionally and we we would call that tanking. And so it it was kind of looked down upon a little bit, but they had a broad vision in place for what they were going to do and what it looked like to get there. And along the way, they were able to draft players like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And Joel Embiid is, is potentially going to be the MVP of the league this year with the 76ers having a pretty good chance to make it pretty far in the playoffs, if not win. So even though Sam Hinkie, the, the ownership there, they got sick of the process. It's actually played out pretty well. And they went from one of the worst teams in the league to one of the best teams in the league with a lot of young players. And what Sam Hinkie set out to do with building that NBA team, it's come to fruition largely. So The reason I bring this story up specifically was because it is known widely in sports circles, literally as just the process. And so I think in investing, if you have a good investment process, that will hopefully lead to long-term success for you as an investor as well. So when most people evaluate their investments, they just look at last month, last quarter, last year, whatever. And they say, well, did I have good returns or did I have bad returns? And if so, that was a good investment or a bad investment. And I think that we can be a little bit more nuanced than that. And so instead of just looking at the number and looking in hindsight to see if that was a good decision or a bad decision, just based on a short-term result, I think looking at a good investment process and then comparing that to the outcome will help to find things a little bit better for you. So I've referenced Moneyball a few times before. That's it's a movie and a book that came out in the mid-2000s. And Jonah Hill's character on that movie was loosely based on a guy named Paul DePodesta. And he is someone that was much in line with the Sam hinkey way of doing things, using analytics and building the team through a process instead of looking for all-stars and, and things like that. And so. He had a blog post years ago where he kind of outlined this little grid of evaluating decisions. And on one side, it says good process and bad process. And then on the top, it says good outcome and bad outcome. So if you have a good process and you get a good outcome, he would say that that's deserved success. Everything is right in the world. You know, you had a good process, you had a good outcome, everybody's happy. But if you had a good process and a bad outcome, that is just a bad break. It's like, boy, you're not going to get all of them, but that was a bad break. So you can look back on your your process and say, okay, well, we can probably do this again because even though the outcome wasn't great, we just kind of had a, a bit of bad luck here and it's not always going to be that way. But if you have a bad process and you have a good outcome, you'd have to categorize that as just dumb luck right not not even smart luck of course it's dumb luck because you you stumbled your way into success you know these people that this happens to all the time your buddy that was always getting into trouble managed to come out unscathed from whatever scheme he got into you know those kind of situations people who bought nfts and sold them at the top it's like okay well was it a good investment no probably not did you make money on it maybe you know let's just call that dumb luck maybe even gambling would be a good good description for this category here. Gambling is never a good process-driven decision, but you can have a good outcome. And so, yeah, of course, if you win, that's just dumb luck. But if you have bad process and you get a bad outcome, Paul De Podesta says that that is just poetic justice, right? It is not rewarding bad decision-making. And the people that fall under that category or the decisions that fall under that category can hopefully be learned from. From our perspective here as investors and for many of you that are new to investing or just beginning investing, I wanted to put together a few thoughts of what is a good investment selection process, and I'll start with three different levels, high level, mid-level, low level, and uh, there's many other things that you could factor in here, but I'll try to stay as, as general as I can while still being instructive. Okay, a good investment selection process starts at the high level because this helps you determine your asset allocation. I've got an episode or two about this one. Essentially, this determines how aggressive you should be investing with your mix between stocks, bonds, and cash, and that starts with your timeline. So if you are investing for the purposes of buying a house next week, I would say you should not be investing. That money should be in cash. However, if you are investing for a retirement that is 20-plus years away, that means you probably can't afford to take on a little bit more risk. So the longer the timeline the more risk you could be willing to take on with your investments. However, on the other side of the coin here is my next point at the high level is your risk tolerance. So even though you have the capacity, maybe with your with your timeline and your own personal financial situation to take on some risk, you might not feel very comfortable with it or you might be new to investing. And so your risk tolerance might be a little bit lower. So even if you have a long time horizon, but your risk Tolerance or preference is lower, you might want to add a few more bonds into your mix. And finally, the purpose, or sometimes you'd say goals, this goes along with your timeline. A lot of people don't know their timeline, though. So sometimes we can fall back to your purpose of what is the reason that you're investing in the first place. Is it just to make a pile of cash bigger? No, almost no one would really have that as a goal. But maybe to buy a house, maybe to retire, maybe to buy a vacation property. Maybe to reduce how much you're working, you know, so maybe you could work part time and have income from other sources, things like that. Knowing what your purpose is will help determine your asset allocation at a high level. Okay, so those are the things that you want to think about at a high level to help you determine your asset allocation. Now, secondly, the mid-level decision making here comes down to determining your investment approach. I won't spend a ton of time on this one because I did a whole series on a variety of things that you should consider. You can go back and look for those headings of building your own investment approach just a few weeks ago in uh, in the podcast feed here. But some things that you might want to take a look at are just your general investment philosophy. If you don't know what that means, definitely go back and listen to those episodes. But a lot of people start with the active and passive philosophy, and that's totally fine. But you could probably look a little bit further and look at say traditional active versus factor investing versus traditional indexing. So there is a little bit more of a spectrum there. And pure passive and pure active, I would argue, don't really exist. And so go back and listen to those episodes to figure out where you might fall in that spectrum. But other things like being diversified or concentrated, tactical or strategic, and some other things that you might want to prioritize would all fall under your investment philosophy. But as I'm trying to show here, your investment philosophy really only matters After you've determined the high level things of your timeline, your risk tolerance and your purpose, and then your asset allocation that comes along with that. So once you've kind of figured that out, and then you've figured out your investment approach, you can kind of move over to some of the lower level things that I would say they help you determine the execution of what you're actually going to buy. And so once you kind of know what you're looking for, then you can start evaluating things like cost. Because if you have something that is Let's say you're going to be 100% equities and you're going to be diversified and you're going to go passive. Well, you can probably assume that when you're evaluating those options, they're largely going to be similar. So you could find one that is lower cost than the other. You definitely don't want to split hairs here if they're really within a very close amount of cost. Don't worry about it too much, but if one is meaningfully more expensive than the other one, you could probably find a a cheaper option. Another thing to consider at the low level here is a provider preference. So two large ETF providers here in in Canada and around the world would be iShares and Vanguard. iShares for example is, is owned by a company called BlackRock and for whatever reason, some people really do not like BlackRock. For the same reason that people don't like them, it's the same reason that other people really do like them. <laughs> the The current CEO has a an ESG preference that has come into some of their products, especially in the U.S. And a lot of folks that would largely live in states or provinces that are high producers of oil and gas, they would say, oh, that's not really my preference there. I don't really want to align with that. And so perhaps they would be more interested in something from Vanguard or another provider. Vanguard is also kind of unique in that they're structured almost like a co-op. And so they're owned by the unit holders in the U S the Canadian version is a little bit different, but it's not like a big profit generating machine. Vanguard's incentive is to actually reduce fees over time as opposed to increase them. Because if the, the is owned by the unit holders, there's no incentive to increase costs for the sake of increasing profits in that case. So, You know, there are some nuances between providers here that that would make sense. If you work with an investment advisor, they would probably have a bit of a preference from one to another as well. So if you've already determined your high and mid-level approaches with your advisor they might have some recommendations on provider preferences based on service that you as the end client might not see. And uh, so if you can get things at a reasonable cost and it matches your investment philosophy, but you get better service on the back end, that is something that's also worth considering in my mind. Finally, another thing that would help you determine what you're actually going to buy and the execution of your investment decision would be a product preference between ETFs or mutual funds. I've talked about those ones in the past before. I will reiterate again, ETF doesn't mean passive, mutual fund does not mean active, ETF does not mean cheap, mutual fund does not mean expensive. Okay, These are both structures of pooled investments, but they are different. And depending on your investment philosophy, the options available to you might be in one structure or the other. Mutual funds are more flexible, but ETFs have a few other advantages for them. But sometimes they can come along with trading costs or they might not be As liquid throughout the day. So you might actually take a little bit of hit when it comes to buying and selling these things. I won't get into the details of that one too much, but just clear up some of those common misconceptions between ETFs and mutual funds. However, it is something that you need to decide when it comes to actually purchasing these things. So those are kind of the the main things that I would want to consider when it comes to a good investment selection process. So let me reiterate those again. At a high level, this helps you determine your asset allocation. So your timeline, risk tolerance, and purpose or goals. And then at the mid-level, you want to determine your approach or your investment philosophy. And that'll help you determine what direction you're going to go or what kind of investment options you can kind of filter through. And then at the low level, this determines what you're actually going to buy. Cost would be a big part of this. Provider preferences and product preferences, if you have any. So now that you kind of know what a good investment selection process looks like, you can use this as a filter to then determine what a bad investment selection process looks like. The main things that I often come across, either from emails or things that I see online or uh, new client requests or things like that, the main thing that people are looking at is what was the performance recently, what their friend was talking about, what the news is saying, and then what their predictions of the future are based on whatever they're feeling in the moment. Most of these things lead to biased decisions, recency bias, confirmation bias, overconfidence, lots of things that don't actually lead to any deserved success. These are things that, that point towards gambling and and some of those outcomes that we looked at on that bad process grid of dumb luck and poetic justice. You don't want to be considered someone who is successful due to dumb luck or someone who just makes bad decisions and has bad outcomes. We can do better than that. So, if you if you follow a good investment selection process hopefully you'll have some deserved success along with that you're definitely going to have bad breaks from time to time but if you look back on your investment selection process and you learn to trust the process first as opposed to trusting the the last line on the most recent statement, you're going to have a great outcome over a long period of time. If this was helpful for you, I'd love it if you could share this episode with a friend or someone that you know that's getting into investing and wanting to learn more. I've got new subscribers every single day, which is that's crazy. The podcast is growing a lot. So thanks so much to you and all of you who are new listeners of the podcast. I've got a lot of emails recently of people that are new listeners. So anyways, welcome here to anyone that's new. And thank you so much to all of you who have been listening for so much longer as well. I hope that you have a good rest of April and I will see you next week with a new episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Canadian Money Roadmap Podcast. Any rates of return or investments discussed are historical or hypothetical and are intended to be used for educational purposes only. You should always consult with your financial, legal and tax advisors before making changes to your financial plan. Evan Neufeld is a certified financial planner and registered investment fund advisor. Mutual funds and ETFs are provided by Sterling Mutuals, Inc.